like to borrow a Bible this morning, just raise your hand. We'll let you borrow one. You can follow along with us this morning. Just raise it up high. The ushers will bring you one. Just stick it in the pew when you're done. I know you've already heard it announced that we have a church picnic afterwards just across the street. And, and you'll be thinking, I'm new. It's kind of weird. There's no way I'm going to go to a church picnic. But I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. About a fourth of you here this morning are new to our church. This is kind of the way it happens over the summer. And so I would encourage you, even if you're new, go get some food, comment over there. Even if you're single, even if you're in college, it's, it, it's no big deal. Just come on over and hang out. It, it'll be a good time. The last one we had was great. We are in the book of Matthew, going through the book of Matthew. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 15. And since we're in and out a lot, you might want to have a little connection from last week. Last week we talked about um, stepping out on faith. Maybe you have some big God idea in your life or God ideas where you want to step out on faith, uh, where God may be leading you. And so just kind of connect it uh, with, with this week. One of the things that can mess up your God idea or mess up your vision is what's going on in your heart your character, maybe ignoring what's going on on the inside uh, or a lack of awareness what's going on. You know, you ever meet those people who are big vision people, but they're just an arrogant jerk? You're like, it's like they're not paying attention to what's going on on the inside. Or, or, or maybe a woman who's got grand vision, but she's just mean because she's just ignoring what's going on on the inside. Or maybe you have some, some grand vision, something you feel like God wants you to pull off, but you have some secret life of sin. Because a lot of times we like to talk about vision and God ideas, but we often ignore what's going on inside of us. And that's a little connection from last week to this week. Because, you know, honestly, what Jesus is going to say this week is going to make some of you really mad. And don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus, all right? He's the one that is saying these things. I am representing him. I believe what he says. I believe his word. But it's going to make you mad. Not all of you, but some of you are just going to say, wow, Jesus is kind of poking at me. Because that's what he does. He wants to get at our hearts because he wants us to experience his love and forgiveness and grace and the gospel. So Matthew 15, let's all stand. I want to read to you this morning. Matthew 15, starting in verse 1. And the whole setup is a little fight going on here. Here we go. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, 
Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You may be seated. It's about the heart. It's about what's going on on the inside. When I first became a Christian, I struggled with a lot of sin issues, as as many of you, maybe when you first were converted. And what I would do is that, you know, here, I became a Christian. I brought all this sin in from my, my my former way of life. I mean, a lot of it. And what would happen is I found myself slipping back to some of my old sinful patterns. And so what I would do is I would sin feel terrible, repent, find forgiveness in the gospel, and then after a little while, I would go back to the same old sin. Did I just talk about you? (laughs) Do you find that pattern in your own life? Sin, feel terrible, repent, go to the gospel, receive forgiveness, go back and do the same thing all over again. And I was thinking, man, what's the deal? What's this Christian life all about? It's just about sinning all the time and, and then feeling bad and getting forgiveness and then doing the same thing again. Is that what it's all about? And so I was really frustrated. And I came across this book. I've shared with some of you before, but I came across this book by this guy named Larry Crabb. Now, this was in the, in the early uh, 90s. This book called Inside Out. And the whole concept of the book is basically built upon this passage here and a variety of passages like this that says, look, sin it's what's going on inside. It's not so much all the externals out here. It's something that's going on inside of you. And if you can start to deal with what's going on inside of you and start surrendering that to God and be exposing yourself to God, then you can start having some movement and some change and some traction in your life. And that was a big eye-opening thing for me. That it wasn't so much about all these externals, about but it was about open myself up to just to like a, a spiritual heart surgery. And it's not to say, well, now I'm all perfect. No, not at all. I still struggle with sin as you struggle with sin. But what I want to do now, and I want to get better at, is going to God and say, God, whatever you want to do. I want to talk about everything that's going on. I want to repent of everything that's going on. I don't want to hide from you. I don't want to hide from others. I want to be fully exposed before you. Because what I want to start to do, I want you to catch this. What I want to start to do is I want to own my sin as my own. So that I can start to own the gospel as my own. I'm going to say that several times today. I want to own my sin. It's mine. I, I'm, I'm the one guilty of it. Not, not the external factors. It's me. And when I start to do that, and when you start to do that, we can start to move toward the Father and find forgiveness in Jesus. And we can start to own the gospel as our own as well. But this is not so easy. Because a lot of times, we want to stay closed off, and we want to make it all about externals. We want to make it about religion. And that's what the Pharisees were trying to do as well. 
making it about religion. They are people just like us. They want it to be holy. They want it to be pure. You want to be holy. You want to be pure. But they didn't want to be holy and pure in the way where they actually had to start dealing with stuff in their hearts. They wanted to talk about externals. And Jesus is going to say, no, no, no. It's not about the externals. It's about inward purity. What's going on on the inside? And that's what the argument's about today. And so we're going to take it verse by verse. We're going to go through, be a little patient at first because we're going to have to do a lot of studying because I really want you to understand building up to, the, to the, the final conclusion. I want you to understand where Jesus is coming from. So let's take it verse by verse and study and dive in. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And I mean, you, a lot of you kids may think your parents are Pharisees, telling you to wash your hands before you eat. But this is, this is not a hygiene issue, okay? This is a, it's a ritual purity issue. So the, the tradition passed down from the elders, it's a man-made tradition, is that you must wash your hands before you eat so that you are not spiritually contaminated. So say you're out in the marketplace and you bumped into some Gentiles or you, you touched something like a dead bug or something that made you ritually unclean, you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat the food because if you don't wash your hands, you're going to have this defilement on you, spiritually speaking. You're going to touch the food and then you're going to take the food and then you're going to put it into your body. And once you put it into your body, then you got sin all off in you. So you better wash your hands. And you might think, well, that's silly. That's silly. But let me just tell you how serious they were. Here's a little, a little quote from a, a rabbi. He, he once said this a little bit after this time. He said, whoever eats bread without previously washing the hands is as though he had intercourse with a harlot. Like, are you serious? You're that serious about it? You're going to equate hand washing with sleeping around with prostitutes? They're very serious about that. And so if Jesus was such a great teacher, then why doesn't he teach his disciples to follow the traditions of the elders? So they're going off on Jesus. Well, look what Jesus says in reply. Verse 3. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So the Pharisees took the commandments of their tradition and let go of the commandments of God. And Jesus says, here's a great example. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. And if you don't, you must be put to death. But that's not what the Pharisees were doing. Watch what they were doing. Verse 5. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Oh, this is good. This is good. So this is what people were doing. Just the, the average person within the temple. What they were doing, they were saying, okay, I have all this stuff. I got money. I got property. But I also have parents. And my parents are a little needy. They need my stuff. 
I don't want to give my stuff to my parents because I'm selfish. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to dedicate all my stuff to God. And when I die, the temple will get it all. But until then, I get to use it, not my parents. Isn't that a great deal? You can be holy and spiritual, give all your stuff to God, and yet you never have to give it to them. It'll just go to the temple after you die. But until then, your parents don't get a dime. And the Pharisees and the leaders were saying, that's a great deal, especially a good deal for us, the temple leaders. But let's just say all of a sudden you felt convicted. You're like, boy, that's pretty selfish. And you went back to the elders and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and you said, I feel very convicted. I've got to help mom and dad. They're so messed up. They need money. They need health care. They have some major problems. I've got to help them. I want to get out of my vow. They would say, nope. You've already made your vow. You're giving it all the temple. You can't give a dime to your parents. So what the Pharisees were doing, because of their own traditions, they are making void the command of God. It was all about what's going on out here, not about what's going on in here. And it continues, verse 7. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he quotes Isaiah 29, 13, where Isaiah, he's addressing the religious leaders of the day, and they're going through these external uh, motions of religion. And Jesus says, it's just like you guys. What Isaiah said to his people can totally be applied to religious leaders of Jesus' day, where they are worshiping God in vain. It's almost like their mouth would say one thing in worship and then their heart would say another thing. It's like, like their mouth would say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. That was what their mouth would say. And their heart would say, create in me a clean heart, no way. Mouth is saying one thing, heart saying something else. Sunday morning we can sing songs all we want. Take notes on sermons. Give in the offering. And yet our heart can be doing something totally different. Worship in vain. And God sees it. We're exposed before him. And he is calling out the religious leaders. He's busting them. But he's sick and tired of dealing with them because they're not listening. So he stops speaking to them and he speaks. It's like he's having a conversation with them. And now he starts speaking over them to the crowd. So watch what he says to the crowd. Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. Oh, this is good. This is the best. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So get this. The religious leaders have been arguing the whole time. It's about what comes into a person that makes them defiled or unfit for God's presence. So it's been called, someone has called this, that the Pharisees have a theology of import defilement. You get that? Import. What comes into us is what defiles us. So all those things that are on the outside that come in, 
They're the ones that make us unfit or sinful before God. So if you want to be fit before God's presence and not defile, what do you do? Wash your hands. Okay, that takes care of it. You'll be fine. Because it's about import defilement. But but Jesus, he goes, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Jesus says, it's not imports that defile. It's not what goes in you that defiles you and makes you unfit for God's presence. What Jesus is going to argue, what we're going to see the rest of this, our, this, our time together, is that Jesus is saying that exports defile. He speaks of export defilement. What is actually inside of our hearts is what is corrupt and what is sinful, and that is coming outside of us. So it's exports that make us unfit for the kingdom of God, make us unfit for the presence of God. It's what's going on in our hearts. Now, he's going to explain this in a moment. But until then, a little bit more conversation about these, these religious leaders. Look at verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus is always making them mad. He's always offending them. He often caused a variety of offenses to the religious establishment. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, you made our leaders mad. Jesus continues on, verse 13. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's saying, blind guides, I didn't plant them. Satan planted them. Remember we talked about the weeds growing up among the the wheat. These are the ones planted by Satan. They are going to be judged in the future. Leave them alone. Don't pay attention to them. They're deceived, and they're going to deceive other people, and they're going to lead them all into a pit. So just ignore those leaders. Now, Peter jumps in, and this is where it gets really good. Verse 15. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. He's like, excuse me, I like a little explanation of this inside-out parable. Can you tell me about it? And Jesus said to him, are you also still without understanding? I want you to make sure you get this. Jesus is not only saying something that is so extreme to the Pharisees that make them so mad. He's saying something to the disciples that they're not spiritually perceiving. And Jesus is is frustrated with his disciples because they still think that it's about this import defilement, about what goes in. They're still not getting it. He gave this whole sermon on the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about the heart the whole time. And Jesus is like, you're still so dull? You don't get what I'm saying here? But Jesus, once again, a little gracious, he explains to them once again what he's talking about. And he says in verse 17, Do you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Yuck. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. As a little crude way of explaining what happens. Food comes in and goes into the stomach, and then it goes out the body. So food does not make you unfit for God's presence. It does not defile you. Imports don't defile you. And I'll give you a little bonus here because it's not in the Gospel of Matthew, so we can track with this real quick. The Gospel of Mark actually has a, a, a little conversation there where, it's, where it, it, Mark informs us that Jesus is revealing something very significant here. 
Jesus is not only challenging the traditions of the elders and the religious establishment, but he's also abolishing and overturning the ceremonial aspects of the food laws. And the reason why he's overturning the food laws, we can get into this more some other time, is that those laws were symbolic and they were pointing to a greater truth. And so if you are taking notes and you want to know what is that greater truth, well, let's all clue in here. The greater truth is, is that, it, that, that true defilement is not imported but exported. True defilement is not about what comes in and makes you unfit for God's presence. It's actually what's already inside of you that makes you unfit for God's presence. It's not about the food, because the food can come on in, go to the stomach, and it's history, right? But what's already inside of us, the heart, that's what true uncleanliness is all about, internal, what's going on inside. It's about the sin in our hearts that make us unfit for God's presence. Jesus is really hammering this because the religious leaders don't get it. They think it's all about externals. And he's like, no, it's what's going on inside. And then he says in verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. What does that mean, the heart? When we talk about the Bible, heart, what does that mean? What's pumping here? What we're talking about is what makes you, you. It's your, it's your motives. We're talking about your heart, it's your motives. It's what's going on in your thoughts, your desires, and your attitudes. Your heart represents you. Your heart is what makes you, you. It's, it's all about you. And what Jesus is saying, and this is where he makes people so mad, he says, you're the problem. The problem is you. It's not someone else. It's not about externals coming into the body. The problem is you. You make yourself unfit for God's presence. And I know this is not, this is the thing that probably makes you mad because we grew up in a culture that does not talk like this. We grew up in, and maybe even churches did not talk like this, that you were the main problem. Your heart is the main problem. And what we do as people who believe the Bible, we even have our own form of defenses where we would say, yes, I believe in the depravity of man. I believe in sin in general. I even believe in my own sin, but not in the specifics. We will all say, I'm a sinner. But we don't say exactly what, what, what that means. Come on, t- tell me more. <laughs> Where do you sin? What do you do when you sin? You're like, well, I'm just a sinner, all right? Let's not talk about the specifics. And here's what we often do. When we start to talk about the specifics, we don't talk about it the way Jesus does. We actually, I believe, have a form of, of import defilement. We wouldn't say wash your hands and be clean, but we would say things like, you know what? Other people make me sin. I still sin. Yeah, okay, okay. But it's someone else's fault, that's, that's that form of import defilement. Something has happened outside of me to make me sin inwardly. Or my circumstances have made me sin. If this didn't happen out here, then I would have never sinned, of course. And so we're, I think we're kind of similar to the Pharisees. We have this idea that we're sinners, but it's probably because something is going on out here. And Jesus is saying, no, no. 
It's what's going on in here. It's you. You're the one to blame. You're at fault. It's you. Own your sin. And, and uh, brothers and sisters, I'm going to just be honest with you. And, until you own your sin, you're going to continue to be in this cycle. This cycle of continue to not have victory over your sin where you'll have to dealing with something habitually and you'll, you'll engage in it, you'll feel bad about it, and then you'll say, okay, forgive me, and then you'll move on and you'll do it again. And you'll constantly trying to explain it by, it's my father's fault, it's my mother's fault, it's my circumstances' fault. And you'll have every, every other reason. And you'll say, well, of course I sin, but it's something going on out here that makes me do it. And Jesus is saying, look, it's in here. You need to own it. And I believe, I believe until you own your sin for yourself, you will not own the gospel for yourself. If we want to experience the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love of God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, we're not going to experience that if it's always someone else's fault. Do you want true forgiveness? Do you want real heart change? And every single one of us, we, we resist this. We, we, we resist it. It's all, we always want to put it out there. And, and we, we've recognized this as a church. Uh, we've recognized it so much that this, this, this coming year, we do these things called ethos communities. They're like uh, small groups. We're going to be hammering the heart a lot this year. Not only for ourselves, but also how we can help other people. In fact, what we're going to do this fall, we're, we're likely going to do a study in our ethos communities called Instruments in a Redeemer's Hands. Now, I know some of you have done that study before, but we want to bring it in to all the ethos communities so that we can start to look. Let's start dealing on with going on in here so that we can be God's instruments to bring the gospel and grace to other people who are struggling as well. But part of this, part of this... Um, victory, healing, uh, forgiveness of our sin starts off with ownership. Not ownership in general, I am a depraved human being, but ownership in the specifics. And Jesus is about to get specific. He has a little shorter list. Mark has a longer list of, of specific sins. But here we go. He's about to get into the specifics of depravity, not depravity in general. So let's jump into verse 19 and get real specific with our sins. Not because we're going, you're so morbid. Why are you talking about sin so much? It's because I want to experience the gospel. I want to experience Jesus. I want to experience forgiveness. I want to say, yes, I'll contribute to my salvation, my sin. You give me all the salvation and I'll just give you my sin. So let's get real specific here. Verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Okay, let's stop there. (laughs) Uh, I, I am not surprised by the evil thoughts I had as an unbeliever. What surprises me is the evil thoughts I have had as a believer. And let me be more forceful. What really surprises me is the evil thoughts I've had as a pastor. What about you? If we got a little movie going on here of your evil thoughts, would that be a nice film to watch among your brothers and sisters? I'm not talking about 
thoughts that come into our head, we reject them. Temptations that come into our head, we reject them. I'm talking about the evil thoughts that are in our head that are on replay on a loop that keep going over and over again, that we keep inviting back in and over and over and over again. And what what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews is that we are going to have to give account for what's going on even in our thoughts because God sees those. And so what we should do is say, you know what? You're right. I have evil thoughts. They're mine. I'm going to own them. I'm going to own them as evil, and I'm going to repent of them and say, okay, they're mine. Now I'm going to expose myself before God, maybe before a brother, and say, look, these are what's going on here. I'm going to expose myself. I want to repent of these evil thoughts, and I'm going to say, God, change my heart and take his word and stick it in me. <laughs> and so replacing the evil thoughts with his truth. God, change me. Jesus is being very specific. What's in our heart? For out of the heart come evil thoughts. He continues, from out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. I've had uh, conversations with people who give excuses for committing uh, adultery. Maybe you've committed adultery and you have an excuse for it. Um, there's often been excuses of like, you know, my, my spouse wasn't loving me and I just felt so empty and I met someone else. Or um, if my spouse had been there for me, I would not have done this. And you know what Jesus says? Cut it. It's you. It's your heart. Let me put up just one quote for you by a, a very uh, guy named David Powelson. He's a wonderful counselor, man of God. This is what he says. Consider this counseling right now, by the way. He says, The situation does not create what's in the heart. The situation is the significant stage on which the heart plays forth. I'm going to read that again. The situation does not create what's in the heart. The situation is, is the significant stage on which the heart plays forth. So if we are in this massive counseling session right now, and I would agree, terrible things have happened to you. I know. Terrible things have happened to you. Terrible things have happened to me too. I mean, bad stuff has happened to all of us. Bad stuff. But we can't say, because of all of that, that's to blame for my sin. No, no, no. It's just the stage that exposed my heart. And it's me. And I want to own it so I can own the gospel and have forgiveness. Jesus continues with the specifics. He says, for out of the mouth come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, uh, sexual immorality. This is very similar to adultery, sexual morality. This could be lust of the eyes or premarital sex or pornography. Basically, it's your heart is not right with God. And, and if this describes you, I'm telling you, you need to own your sin. Do not blame loneliness. Do not blame the computer. Do not blame other people. You need to start owning your sin. I, I, I love it when I meet with people and they're just broken. And I think, yes, you're about to receive so much grace because you're broken. Don't think that brokenness is something you need to be ashamed of. It's a good thing to be broken over your sin and expose yourself so you can receive forgiveness. 
this, this past Thursday, I was out with our, our church planner. We're trying to start this church in, in Rogers Park. And one of the ways we do that was we got to evangelize people. We got to tell them about Jesus so they can get saved and the, the church can grow. And, and of course, they can be reconciled with the Father through Jesus. And we're talking to this woman, I mean, very respectable woman. Um, Jeremiah and I are talking to her, and that's our church planner. I don't know, she's, she's in her 40s, she's working on a degree, she has children, and we're sharing the gospel with her, and she's saying that um, she's not a Christian. And I'm telling you, we're just explaining the gospel, and right in the middle of the conversation, and I'm so surprised she said this and was willing to expose it, she said, you know what, my main sin is fornication. And I thought, who still uses that word, Fornication. Apparently she does. And, and I was like, and why is she telling two pastors on the street? And she, and she just exposed herself. She said, that's my sin, is, is sex outside of marriage. And you know what? As I'm talking to her, I went away with so much hope. This woman may actually become a Christian soon. She's exposing herself. She said, look, this is my issue. I need, I need forgiveness. I'm thinking, this is a good thing. But as I thought about it more, I actually got kind of sad. Sad for... Some Christians, because I'm thinking, here's an unbeliever exposing her sin who may soon experience the gospel, while a lot of Christians who have sexual immorality in their lives keep it as a secret sin, and they hide it from others, and they're not going to experience the gospel. They're not going to experience grace and forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, come on, own that. Let's talk about that. Repent of that. Deal with it, and I'll forgive you. We're talking about forgiveness. We're not trying to shame anyone. We're talking about abundant forgiveness and grace in the gospel. Let's finish up with what Jesus is saying. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Oh, boy, you know slander is a lot more common. It's a lot more common than you, and then we give ourselves credit for I always like to be dogging on sexual morality, right? But Christians, Christians kind of major in slander. And when people do something, something to us, we just want to go off on them. And I say, look, that's your heart. And you go, that's not my heart. If they didn't come across my path, I wouldn't be saying that. Well, maybe God brought them in your path to expose your heart. So what's going on inside? And it's sometimes, you know, if, you, if you're married, and if you ever get married, I'm telling you what, one of, the, one of the things in marriage, it's almost like you say, you know what? It gives us permission to talk bad about other people. Yeah? You ever do that in your marriage? You're like, let's just dog on someone else. That's slander. doesn't matter if it's still, when you're about to go to bed, that's still slander. You're still talking bad about someone else. It's what's going on in your heart. It's not someone else's fault. It's you. Own it. Experience the gospel. I remember this whole conversation happened in the context where Jesus says, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Not about the external. It's about the internal, what's going on in your heart. And one of the the best ways that you can kind of do a little heart check up here and expose your motives is the way that you share prayer requests. Like when you're in your ethos community and it's time for prayer, and you break off, maybe guys and girls, or you break off in your little small groups, and you're going to pray with one another, you can see what's going on in your heart by the way you share prayer requests. Is your prayer request always about your circumstances out here? Where you're saying, you know, 
I really need prayer because my kids are so whacked out. They're out of control. They're possessed by Satan. There's... They're just so, we need prayer. We need to probably do an exorcism on them or something. It's always about something going on here. Rather than, you know what, my kids are hard to deal with, but you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing this well. It's, it's mainly what's going on in here. Or like when you start talking about other people, you're like, I need prayer for my dysfunctional roommate or just my dysfunctional spouse or my dysfunctional colleague. When, when it could be, you know what, I'm having a hard time with my spouse, but I have a dysfunctional heart. Will you please pray for me? Pray for me. That's ownership. It's not denying that circumstances are hard, but it's saying, I want to start to own what's going on. I need help. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need power to change. I need power to actually love. When you own your sin as your own, you can start to own the gospel as your own. When you own your sin as your own, You can own the work on the cross as your own. Jesus Christ died for actual sinners who commit sin themselves. No matter what happened out here, he took your sin, your sexual morality, your anger, your slander, your pride upon himself and died, buried, rose again for your forgiveness. You want to talk about exalting and worshiping and praising God, that will happen once you start to own your sin as your own. And you'll rejoice in the gospel. you rejoice that you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we want to experience your forgiveness. We want to experience your grace. We want to experience Jesus because Jesus makes us fit for heaven. Jesus makes us fit before the Father for you because of his righteousness. And where you're at sitting there right now, where no one can hear you, go ahead and tell God right now. If there's anything you want to tell him, if there's any sin you want to own in your own life, if there's any way you want to expose yourself before God, in your sin, just right now, in the quietness of your mind and your heart, go ahead and pray and tell them. Father, I just ask that you would reassure these repentant believers that they are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And you have poured out your Holy Spirit into their lives to give them the power to change and to walk as repentant sinners who are changed by the blood of Jesus. And we're all equal in our sin before you. And we want to own it and rejoice, rejoice and praise and worship. And as we sing the rest of these songs today, live our life this week, we don't want to be those people who are hiding. We don't want to be those who are honoring you with our lips, but our hearts are far from you. We want our lips and our hearts to be in unison as we worship you. Let's just take our entire life today. Take our entire life today. May it be totally offered up to you. Not 98%, but 100% consecrated to you.
in Christ's name. Amen.